This is Lessons from Leadership, sponsored by CoachMyLife.com. Your life, your career, your future. To find out more about how our coaching and mentoring can put you in control, visit our website, www.CoachMyLife.com. Welcome to our Lessons from Leadership podcast, where we explore some of the key issues and debates about modern leadership. My name's Oliver Colling, and I'm delighted to be joined by our two leadership experts, Lisa Peach and Gillian Morley, for what I hope will be an interesting and enlightening discussion. By way of a quick introduction, Lisa has over 25 years in management consulting, OD and leadership development. Her career spans senior roles from financial services to telco and health and social care. She's currently head of ODL at the Royal Free NHS Trust in London, and her research interests are in collaborative leadership, power and decision making. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Oliver. I'm also joined by Gillian Morley. Gillian is a leadership development expert, a coach, and after a career starting in the civil service, and then with a global management consultancy, has run her own consultancy business since 1996. Hello, Gillian. We're delighted to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. So our aim in this series is to try and get behind some of the really important aspects of leadership and to get insights from Lisa and Gillian, gained from their professional experience. And um, we've taken a list of subjects. And our first subject is really a question that's often asked by different people in different levels of an organisation. And that's, how do I become the leader I want to be? Lisa, any initial thoughts? I think really when you're thinking about the leader you want to be, looking around you and looking for people that you admire that are senior to you and or indeed at the same level but um, have skills that you don't have. I mean, sometimes we call this role modelling and it can be not the whole of the other person, but maybe just parts of their leadership that you admire. So maybe maybe somebody has something that you would like. So for example, I tend to at times um, or have the, when I get energised about something, I can speak rather quickly. I really admire people that have the ability to speak with probably a deeper tone and at pace that I don't speak at. So I see something in other people and I think actually, can I can I take that on board? Could I borrow a bit of that? Can I try it on and see if I could mm. put that into my leadership way of being? I think the way that people are in meetings, you can you can learn a lot from watching people and maybe just borrowing little bits and examples, which are little gifts, really, in terms of your leadership and your career. So I would say I think role modelling is a good way to people watch and to look for things that you like. And then also, Gillian, I don't know what you think about, but also things you don't like in people, which can sometimes feel a little bit, I don't know, you know, that tells you quite a bit about things as well, because it, it might just be that you think, actually, that's not not how I would choose to be as a leader. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Lisa, both in terms of role modelling. To me, it's almost the starting block, really. And, you know, we all work with people, whether it's at the moment remotely or whether it's face to face, whether it's with the same people every day or different people. So it's an easy way in. It develops your uh, your own observation skills. But I like your point 
about looking for those things to avoid as well as to take on board. Because sometimes if you're watching somebody speak or run a presentation or deal with an issue in a group, you can see perhaps sometimes more clearly than they can how everybody's reacting, what the impact is, um, and think, hmm, perhaps if I'm in that situation, I might just tackle it differently. And the other thing I would say is don't be a copycat. We're all different, and we all have our different voices, both literally and, and otherwise, and we all have our different strengths. So if you see something that you really want to take on board and think, yes, I want to incorporate that. That's part of good leadership. You have to learn to do it in your own way because copycatting, not only is it not going to work because it won't come across as genuine, but also it can actually confuse you as well so that, you know, you confuse a cat as well as copycat because you're not actually really responding to the situation as you would respond. Have either of you got any good examples of role models that you've had in the past? In terms of role models, so I think in the past, you can take things from lots of people in the organisation. And I think I've seen people that have handled the, the thing that I've been most inspired by and continue to be inspired by is good people, well-rounded leaders that make it to senior levels in an organisation. So that's people that are in it for the team and not necessarily just for themselves. And I think I think back to some of our Experian days, uh, there were several leaders in that environment. So it was a startup situation, I think, as we could call it, although pre-Shoreditch days when it was a startup. And when you see people in that particular organization, you see you saw an entrepreneurial spirit, but within a a nurturing corporate environment. And I think in terms of seeing people with lots of um, and it stuck with me, actually, the idea of I think I do 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 particularly well in a a growth environment and where there's lots of innovation. And when you see that in leadership, you see people that are prepared to take risks, but not crazy risks. So I worked, you know, with working at the experience, you learned that there was a calculated risk to take. It wasn't crazy risks. So it was exciting to see those new ideas being developed by leaders and then to see projects followed through. And in all of that new story of an organization of growth and bringing on new people, of course, there, are, there were also times when we were downsizing or doing things that were less less uh, fun to do, should I say, or trickier, and ask for more maturity in leadership, possibly handling some conversations that weren't as nice to handle. And in seeing role models, in seeing people struggle with that, in seeing people work that through, in seeing them deliver it in a way that was with dignity and authentic, I think probably set me off with some quite high standards. And I probably didn't see some of that again for quite a while. Gillian, what about you? That's really fascinating. Well, I think I was very lucky because early on in my um, professional life, in my first career in, in the public sector, when I was in the civil service, I was young and I was appointed to be a, basically a bag carrier, except I didn't carry a bag, of course. But I was an assistant to the head of the whole department I was working in. And this was a person who on paper was very traditional, Oxbridge background, headed for the top, and and indeed he got to the top, very establishment, if you want to use that word, even even now, but certainly then. 
But what I found working very closely, although I was basically doing admin and organizing trains and, and ringing people up to make sure they knew we were coming and all that kind of thing, I was very close to the center of things. And that's, I, I like to be at the center of things. It can be small things. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a government department. And that role model there was somebody who, treated people with the utmost dignity and respect and that included everybody from the driver to the junior person who opened the door when we went into a big conference or a big meeting to the most senior of people whether that was a cabinet minister whether it was a trade union leader uh, whether it was a senior member of, of our own department and it was that reaching out to people combined with because it's never one thing in leadership is it it's it, it leadership is multifaceted whoever you are wherever you're leading combined with a huge capacity for hard work and focus right this afternoon we're going to deal with this tomorrow we're going to devote all day to doing that and not being diverted from that yet at the same time managing to have that ease and that rapport with people which of course paid dividends not only did it make for a, a positive and pleasant working environment of course it paid dividends because people trusted people were prepared to go that extra bit and to put that extra bit in so it was it was a great lesson to learn and to have that experience very early on really in my in my career and do you think these leaders you're talking about realize that they're role models that's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's when you're in a situation when you're coaching anybody or working in leadership development, which I have and do in my career, I think one of the things you do remind people in senior roles is don't forget people are watching your every move. And I suppose as I've become more senior, you begin to, sometimes you forget, but you have to remember that actually people, are, they'll, they'll remind you, they'll suddenly say to you, well, we noticed this about you, Lisa. And you think, gosh, actually, yes. And it is so important to use that ability to think about the fact that the way that you are and the way that you're being, you have a responsibility and it's amplified. People look to you, particularly in your team, for, for example, doing what you say you're going to do. So I am an advocate of the team that I work in, and I really do believe in the team. And I think the day that it starts to be about me is the day I need to, to actually step down. So I really, really do enjoy and think about how it is that I demonstrate that in my work. And some days I have to work harder at it than others because some days I've maybe got a task that I want to do that's for me, but actually the team matters. But the role modelling of that is really important to me and I believe pays dividends for the team, not just because it's a nice thing to do, it is a good thing to do, but equally because it makes for better teamwork and better leadership. As leaders, I mean, I, I was saying to somebody the other day, well, if we develop four people, imagine how many people there are that will be impacted by that in the organization. If they are all looking after between 50 and 100 people, then one person can really make or break over 100 people's day. So if you think about that in terms of your role modeling and, you know, role modeling isn't about being perfect all the time, but it's about, I suppose, thinking, who am I as a leader and what role, excuse the pun, or what character am I playing? So as a leader, you are not necessarily, I'm not coming as a mother, you know, I'm, I'm not there to parent my team. That's not an appropriate part of myself to necessarily be role modeling, for example. Or indeed, I might occasionally talk about my dog if it's appropriate in a, an informal model, but I'm not there as the mother of a dog either. I am there as a leader of the team 
to be able to ensure that we deliver and we have some fun along the way as well. So I suppose it's about thinking, how, how do I be that person that also enables other people to feel safe that I'm going to deliver and that we're going to deliver together? I really, I really endorse that. And I think self-awareness, and we may talk about this later, I think it's an actual prime requisite of an effective leader. And being aware, as Lisa's just said, that, you know, you, you're role modelling from the minute you come on screen or go into the office or into the meeting. And that's quite hard sometimes because sometimes, as you said, Lisa, sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes you have to make that extra effort, not just to get the job done or to make people feel good about what the job is that's got to be done. But because people will be, even on an unconscious level, they will be tuning in, they will be listening, they will be watching. And I've got, I've got quite a nice um, experience which has stayed with me. Doing some consulting for a large manufacturing company, an international company, but with a huge division based in the UK. The managing director was very effective, very good from an industry point of view, very good with staff. And he'd taken it upon himself that he would, you know, he knew it was important to keep in touch with workers on the shop floor as well as his senior team and his board. And he would go down onto the manufacturing floor and he made a point of doing that come hello high water at least once a week, if not more often. And he would go around and he would make sure that he got round. If he didn't see everybody one week, he'd go to the other end of the factory on another week and so on. But the feedback he had was very mixed. One of the supervisors actually said, well, it, it's great to see you. We all love to see you. Um, and we, you know, we're grateful that you give us that time. We know how busy you are. But you look so miserable. Last time, we thought the share price had dropped. And the time before that, um, we thought that we were being closed down and moved to France. And, and it, it was nothing more than this person was, was a, a man, uh, an older man, a Yorkshireman. And as a Yorkshire woman, I can say that, you know, Yorkshire, you know, rather, you know, just to the point, rather sort of straight and, and a little bit dour. So we talked about what he could do about that. And, and some of that was having a bit more casual conversation. Oh, back from holiday, how did that go? Kind of general comment. And some of it was actually just smiling and just looking cheerful. And it, and it did make a difference. So, And if that supervisor hadn't given him that feedback, oh, we thought the bottom had dropped out of the share price, he would never have known. He thought he was doing the right thing and he was doing the right thing. But he was unconsciously sending out signals, positive, yes, but also negative. Yeah, that's a really good example, Julian, of when you, yes, you're, and people say, you know, I, I, when I worked in retail years ago, that obviously being on the shop floor was part of what actually made the business tick. And people loved being on the shop floor. So, you know, the regional managers would spend their lives walking and talking and wanting to know, you know, about the chilled section and checking in and working it all out. And it's, that's part of their raison d'etre. And when you move to other organisations that maybe don't think about it in the same way of having a shop floor, it can appear more awkward. But in fact, walking the floors and speaking to teams are really, really important. And in fact, at the, although we can't do it as much at the hospital at the moment, it's very much, it feels very similar in that way that a lot of the leadership team are regularly out and about and um, are part of our, our business. Yeah, very important. And I think the other thing I'd just add about the, about the role modelling thing is we all need, whether we're in a leadership role officially or an unofficial leader, and that's maybe something for a future conversation, but 
we all need to let off steam. Sometimes we do need, for example, to present a united front with our corporate or with our organisational imperatives. And we have to deliver a message that perhaps we're not 500% behind or we're uncomfortable with or we know is going to be difficult, but yet we've got to do that. But we all need as well to be able to let off steam. We need need to have some peer alliances. We need to have, or whether it's um, a friend or an acquaintance, where obviously you're not breaching confidentiality, but I think as a leader, it's hard to be a role model as, as anything in life, as a, as a friend, as a parent, as a worker, as a leader. And we all need to make sure that at some point we've, we've got some downtime where we can just, we can just uh, let that out. But it's not appropriate to do that when you're working within your organisation or within your team. I think that's a really good call, Gillian, and the idea of, of having a peer group to work with. Sometimes we can think of the leader as being this sort of this island, an individual, you know, that we're talking here in the singular, actually, you are part of a team as a leader. So, you know, you have a group of peers, you have people above you, you have colleagues and friends, hopefully. And as a leader, in order to be able to be on stage with your team, or or whether it's, um, it is a media appearance, or indeed, um, at a very important external meeting, for example, that that's a stage that you're going to perform on in effect. And you do need somewhere backstage with peers where you can relax a little bit and also maybe work out what you're going to say and how you're going to be and where they can help you work through your messages. Um, You might also do that, of course, with a coach. But doing it with your peers is, is really a good space to be able to do that. And I think it's probably a fallacy to think, you know, you just do it all from yourself. So within the leadership there's a model that I quite like to think about, which is a, a, balance, a balance between three things. And I like the fact that it's an imbalance and a balance. So we have this idea of I as the leader. So am I, am I really, when I look after myself, and this is a positive, selfish thing, am I really in a good space to do this? Or do I need to choose a different time? Or what can I do to get in a good space? So am I the leader I need to be? The we is the team. So do I use my peers to lean into that? And then we've got the it of the task. And they are always in play. And I quite like to think about that in the sense of you might sometimes be just, you know, on task for, for a lot of time. But it's a bit like walking the dog. Over the week, they need to be in balance. Yeah. And you can sometimes feel when they're out of balance. So when I'm running a bit, a bit lean and I might need to recharge my batteries, you owe it to yourself. Because as a leader, if you are not in a good space yourself, coming back to the role modeling, coming back to the amount of people that you impact, it will leak out and people will begin to be affected by it. Every great leader has a good team to support them. It's a team sport. You don't do it on your own. I have some wonderful colleagues at work and support network that really that I lean into for different things. They've got different skill sets and I hope I do the same for others. And that enables you to be, be the best leader you can be. I think that there's this whole thing about the task, whatever that task is in your in your role, in your organisation, the people and you as an individual. And sometimes you need a perfect balance of all those three. Sometimes the task is absolutely overwhelming because this does need doing. It's a deadline for the end of the week or it's actually we need a rescue package put together for this plant or for this office or whatever. And sometimes it's the people because people aren't motivated or we haven't recruited the right people or we're not managing them as well as we might. So you have to focus on other. And sometimes, and I think this is important, 
as Lisa's emphasising really, that as a leader, you do need to know when you're running a little bit on empty and what you need to do to to fill it up. So I would absolutely agree with that. And it's and the best leaders, uh, and this perhaps moves on into into other characteristics beyond role modelling, are flexible and adaptable, and know that when the time is right to kind of walk the floor and press the flesh and do all those things with people listening as well as talking, by the way, listening, talking, taking on board, showing that you've listened. And when the time is actually to go behind closed doors with the experts and and sort out a solution. And, And sometimes one approach will be the right one for the circumstances. And sometimes there'll be other approaches. And for me, the skilled leader, the really effective leader is not all things to all people, but actually knows the time and the place where actually the focus has to be on achievement or attainment, the focus has to be on finance, or the focus has to be on people and and adapting the style and how how you're spending your time actually appropriately. Yes, that adaptation, I'm just thinking about that old faithful uh, model, which, you know, we've moved on to things, we want to think about it, we're talking now about collaborative leadership, but you know, the old faithful situational leadership, which does what it says on the tin, you know, can you... Can we think about the context and and what is appropriate in this situation? And can you flex, as you were saying, into suppose even in how we, for example, need to influence is a good good way of thinking about this in that situation. So do I just have one influencing style? How do I use my power? Mm. Or if I'm working with a peer, it might be different. Even within a peer group, I might need to use different ways of being, different language, different ways of getting your point across and listening in order to be able to influence the idea of just being able to shift your temper a bit, depending on what situation you're in. So is this, as you say, a situation that is absolutely task, you know, and if it is absolutely task, then we name it and let people know that it is task. We will come back to, so if things have to slide for a day or two, that we let people know that things are coming back. But it's the idea of letting people know and giving people some transparency around the situation is really helpful. It's a little bit like, you know, when there's a problem on the plane and nobody says anything and you think, oh, dear, what's happening? But when people go behind closed doors to deal with the experts and we're treated as though you don't know what's going on. Now, sometimes that has to happen. But most of the time, most of the time, we can include our teams and peers in some kind of adult to adult um, conversation to retain some kind of transparency about you just if you work a little bit at the messaging and of course it takes the effort but if you can work at the messaging you can actually share quite a lot with people yeah because I, I think that there are times when you as a leader you can't share everything but you can say that you can say we're working on this issue you will know by the end of the month we will be talking to you or whatever roadmap you've got planned out. I do think it's important, as you say, Lisa, to to actually name it and saying, actually, we're not having our regular monthly communication meeting in March because, however, in April, we're going to devote extra time to it or, or whatever the case. You don't need to have to go into the whys and wherefores that there's a crisis at head office or there's there's a financial squeeze. No, that's not appropriate necessarily to share with everybody. I think that leads on to, you know, one of the other things about leadership in whichever model or way we're we're talking about it is that there is something about a strategic view and a big picture. As a leader, that's part of your job. And 
to actually focus on not just the day-to-day or the regular or the routine, um, but to focus on the big picture, both in terms of your organization, your industry, your slice of economic life, but also in terms of, well, what's going on outside there? What's happening in society at the moment? What's actually happening in the States or in Europe? I mean, we might think at the moment that we, we don't really know much about any of that because the world is, is focused on other things. But it, it is part of your job. And it's really difficult to be a good role model and to give that sense of, look, it's going to be a difficult way, but we do know what that way is. And here are some of the ways you can help. And here are the, some of the ways we can work together in this. But you can't do that effectively unless as a leader, you're tuning in to that bigger picture, both, as I say, in terms of your own organisation, but in terms of the of the larger world of work and of commerce and indeed of, of geopolitics outside. Going back to where we started with the question, how do you become the leader that you want to be? There'll probably be some of our listeners who are either aspiring to leadership roles or are reasonably new in leadership roles themselves. What advice would you give them about developing their leadership? I'm a, a mentor for some people that are in those transitions. And, and over the years, I suppose I've, I've seen in my recruitment life and as a coach, lots of people in those kind of transitions, as I'm sure you have, Gillian. As I'm thinking more recently, I think it's always good to have first 100 days to start to think about a strategy for your first 100 days as an aspiring leader in your role. It gives you a few top tips for how to think about staging of getting uh, started on with your team, thinking about you and your role, thinking about taking on a project and settling yourself in, in that first, what it says, 100 days. One of the key things in leadership is knowing when to ask for help and where to get it. Mm, so using your line manager for that. And if they are not the person for that, then finding yourself a decent mentor. Because that transition phase, a little, a little bit like an aeroplane taking off, it's the place where you really do deserve and need development at quite a pace. Really being able to look out for that is important. I would say you have a team of people to help you, to help you to become self-aware and what you need. Julie, what about you? What do you think? I think that's, I think that's a really good summary of that. I like the idea of, of, of setting out for yourself, setting out your, your course, as it were, for that first few months. I think that's uh, really important because actually the other thing, and I've seen this with when new chief execs have come into organizations, there's a huge emphasis on doing something, whether it's a promotional thing, whether it's a marketing thing, whether it's a, a very visible change of market direction, just to make the point, I'm here. And although it's not given to all of us to do that successfully, and we're not all in, as we're especially starting out in leadership in that position, it is important, I think, to set out your stall. First of all, be clear about that yourself and then to help other people see it because those first impressions, rightly or wrongly, matter. But in order to develop on from that, both in a, in a first leadership role or subsequently as you, as you want to, I do think the mentoring, formal and informal, coaching, formal and informal, is really important. Because however self-aware you are, however insightful you think you are, you can't see yourself as others see you. And it's really important not just to get into the habit of, of positive, critical feedback, 
with people at all levels, actually. But to have somebody, and some organisations now, it's de rigueur to have a formal coach or a formal mentor, whether that's an internal person or whether it's an external person. So I do think that's important because it's more than a sounding board. It's a really important reflector as well. As you go further up, I think it's also important to take a few risks If you're a risk-averse person, that's tricky. So, for example, if you know your expertise is in marketing and promotion, um, and yet the organization or maybe the new boss or maybe the company that's taking you over actually is more technologically focused, doesn't mean to say you can suddenly become a, a technical wizard overnight. But what it does mean is that perhaps you ought to take on a project or par- offer to participate in a project where you're working with some of those more technologically expert people take a risk and I would say putting yourself forward for things like I want to say extra duties you know for for an extra project for dealing perhaps with an employee who's needing help who is needing more help than usual to perform offering actually to go to that meeting with the outside suppliers that nobody really wants to go to some of that is good not just to make yourself visible although actually that is part of it but also just to make sure that you're getting a proper spread of experience as particularly as you go up upwards and onwards well thanks thanks both that's some fascinating insights and really good to draw on your experience of leadership and we could go on for several more hours but i think most of our listeners would would then be um, switching off so thank you both for sharing your insights really really good to to have you here and have you a final going back to our original question how do i become the leader i want to be Have you got one sentence for our listeners to take away from this discussion? Be self-aware, keep your eyes open and your mind open and be prepared to take some risks. And I would add to that that it's also, it is a lifelong journey. You don't just go to a leadership development program and you're done. It is an ongoing journey of development. Well, I think you'll agree some fantastic advice there from our experts. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Gillian. And above all, thank you all for listening. And I hope you'll join us again soon for more lessons from leadership. Lessons from Leadership is brought to you by CoachMyLife.com. Your life, your career, your future. For more details about how we can help you take control visit our website, www.coachmylife.com.